This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. A few games uh, in that stretch where we had, like, you know, had, uh, bad games or losing the games, <clears throat> there, was a, there was quite too many system errors. And I think that the coaches have come to a point where they have, like, all right, let's be a little bit clearer. Let's go back to uh, make sure everybody understands the position and why we're doing stuff. And so it's a tough practice, but at the end of the day, um, you end up, like, Maybe a little bit less thinking you know, next time you're on the ice in the game. Pierre-Edouard Valmar talking about what they need to do to right the ship, so to speak, if that's how you want to phrase it. It is a game day here on Lightning Power Play. The Lightning taking on the Caps. And I'm joined by the radio voice of the Lightning, of course, as I am always, Dave Michigan. I am Greg Winelli. Steve Ersnick is our producer. We've got a... Fun show planned for you today. John Walton, who is the Caps play-by-play man, will join us in about 30 minutes. I will go over a little bit of my conversation with Scott Lachlan earlier today on Sirius XM. He had me on, and we talked about the Lightning. And uh, so much more to get into. But, partner, it is interesting. You know, when you talk about what gets the juices flowing Maybe for the players, but for me specifically as a broadcaster, when I take a look at who the Lightning are playing game in and game out, anytime the Capitals pop up on the schedule, I feel like it it, it raises my antennas a, a few more inches than it would be if you're playing the Montreal Canadiens. And a lot of that is just where the Caps have been over the last few years and where Tampa Bay has been. But I feel like these games between these two teams, the Lightning have won both of them this year, have been pretty intense. Maybe it's because of the Tom Wilson factor and and you just never know what's going to happen there. Maybe it's because facing him in the playoffs not too long ago factors into the equation. I think a lot of it is just these are two really good teams that went head-to-head for a number of years. But I don't know. I always feel like, you know, the Lightning aren't playing as well as they'd like. I know Washington's not, certainly. But, you know, sometimes when you go against what I think is is a decent rival, that can change some things and maybe force you to to play a certain way that maybe you haven't recently and and that's not a bad thing i'm looking forward to tonight's game well look we hope the lightning will play better than they did in the last two and maybe having the capitals as the opponent will help them get dialed in but they had a really rigorous practice yesterday one reason why there's no skate today coop gave the team the morning off which happened on the road trip that was that four game road trip as well, where the yeah. Lightning did not go to a morning skate in Carolina, nor did they go to a morning skate in Boston. Now, they ended up losing both of those games, so hopefully this one will be a little different. The two games they won were both afternoon games, so there was no morning skate, talking about at Detroit and at the Islanders. But I think today they had the day off because he really put them to the paces yesterday, Maybe that's to be expected after what he saw, especially against Toronto, but even against Montreal too, where you know, we talked about on the show yesterday, Greg, like in his mind, this is probably like a five alarm fire. He's like, I thought we had turned the corner. Clearly we haven't. He's the head coach. He needs to get them back on track, and that's his way of doing it. They also switched up the lines yesterday, so he must have been listening to Power Lunch when you made that recommendation. I was going to say, and for the record, I just want people to know, for the record, because a couple of people DM'd me, we did tape that show. So it wasn't uh, just, it yes. wasn't, I wasn't piggy, piggybacking off of 
Like I saw the line combinations and I said, oh, wait, <laughs> here's a yeah. good idea, Dave. I'm going to take, take the credit show. for it. We taped the we show because I had to get to the airport. Yeah. You, and I we, got to the airport and it was like me and two other people. I'm like, where is everybody? <laughs> so like, I know I like to be early, but I'm usually not this early. And the reason I was there ahead of everybody else is that the practice ran long. Like it was well, a tough, tough practice. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying about, hey, the caps are on the schedule. It's usually a pretty spirited game, which it is. But I think the Lightning have other things that hopefully will be motivating them. Well, look, you're right. To bring their level up from what we saw in the last couple of games beyond the opponent. Because if that was the case, Dave, they would have had a really good performance against the Toronto Maple Leafs because that's a game you should invariably get up for. And they they were for 25 minutes, 30 minutes maybe, and then Toronto just, they raised their game. The Lightning, you know, struggled a bit and never really got back in the picture. So you're right. I, I, the opponent isn't enough for you to just switch a flip and, and all of a sudden things are, are okay. But Mm -hmm. I think Washington, for whatever reason, for me at least, it's always fun to go against them. And let's talk about the Nick Paul situation because we know combinations are a fluid situation when it comes to the National Hockey League, and I think specifically Tampa Bay. I mean, John Cooper, you know, we've gone from the triplets line over the years to Kucherov and Stamkos playing together to Point, Kucherov, and Palat being a pretty solid line and – those things even get broken up from time to time. And obviously the triplets line, that that wasn't something that was uh, always happening. But I do think it was pretty interesting. You and I were discussing it. You know, what are some things within reason that John Cooper could do if he was looking for a spark, Dave, to get his team going? And let's face it, Dave, I don't think you switch up the lines unless, in part, you're looking to get a spark. You're looking to maybe get a guy going, send a message a little bit. And just in general, mix things up. So I, I think it's it's at least fair to say when you do things like that, particularly with a team that is already going to the playoffs, although it's not official, that you're doing that because you're looking to find a little bit more consistency in your team's game and possibly elevating or rewarding a guy who's played pretty well. And then, you know, conversely, maybe, you know, taking the pressure off somebody else by maybe lowering his minutes potentially with another line. But I did find it somewhat interesting because, you know, we've talked about Paul. And as I said today with Scott Lachlan, I have been pleasantly surprised by his skill sets. And not necessarily, you know, the pass between the legs, although I think that does open up your eyes. Is that, A, I wasn't really focused on Nick Paul too much over the years when the Lightning played him. But when you see the body of work through five or six games now with the Tampa Bay Lightning, the things that stick out to me are intriguing. There's some size. There's some grit. There's a willingness to stick up for your teammates. But there is also some offensive ability that I didn't know was there or at least had no expectations going in that Paul had that. And at least so far, in a very small sample size, it would appear to me that this is somebody that if it was given maybe a few extra minutes playing with your top six, would not be overwhelmed by the situation. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if it starts tonight and Paul is playing with whoever he was matched up with last night uh, during practice and the Lightning don't generate any offense and John Cooper decides to switch things up, time will tell. We'll find out. But well, I don't Paul, know. Paul was with Sorelli and Kalorn. Okay. 
So, I mean, we'll see where that line is tonight. I, what what I said yesterday was, because you, you spent some time talking about mixing up the lines in part because Paul has been so impressive, so maybe you want to move him into the top six like you talked about yesterday and you just said now. You also referenced guys who are in long slumps and, and what do you need to do to get them going, whether it's Palat, Maroon hasn't scored since late January, Corey Perry I think has gone 14 games or so without a goal, and so it has dried up for some of these guys and maybe you, you need to generate more offensively and that's the reason to shuffle the lines. And my point was... Maybe you shuffle the lines. Maybe you do go with 11 and 7, which is something you talked about as well, because then you can double shift Cooch. You can double shift Point. You can double shift Sorelli if you want and 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 try and give more minutes to those guys. My point was that the priority I feel for the Lightning is how they are defending. And so if there are line combos that are shuffled, and I'm, I'm not changing my opinion on this, I think it has more to do with the makeup of the, the lineup as it relates to defending, not attacking. Now, if you have the puck a lot, that's a really good way of defending. But I still maintain that these line changes have more to do with Coop's concern about the lightning side of the red line. And he wants to try and see if they D up well with these combos. Not that, well, Andre Palat hasn't scored since January 11th or whatever. We need to get him going. In fact, his line didn't change. His line is is still with Point and Kucherov in that they've played together most of the year and they were put together in the, the latter part of both of these last two games, which the Lightning lost both. But... What do we make of Paul? Why why was Paul moved with Sorelli and Kalorn? And I'm going to wager a guess here because I don't think anybody asked Cooper yesterday why he did it. Who is going the best for the Lightning at forward right now? You can make the argument it's Nick Paul. So if he's going the best, let's throw him with Sorelli and Kalorn, which you've talked about, like, could this be a shutdown line? Let's see how they look. Maybe they're going to get, like you don't have last change, but maybe they're going to try and get that line out against Kuznetsov and Ovechkin, which the Caps have issues themselves. Unclear who the right winger is going to be on that line. Might be Connor Sherry, actually. He skated with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin yesterday in practice. We can ask John about that when he joins us at the bottom of the hour. But that's where I think this is coming from. The Lightning need to defend better. Defending is defending as a team. The forwards are involved, and he's not happy. John Cooper's not happy with what he has seen team-wide and how they are defending. And so what can he do? You're right. He's limited, and Julian Breesba is limited in calling up a player based on their cap situation. But you can shuffle the deck. You can move around the the. the the patio furniture, so to speak, and look for different combinations that may give your team a spark, not only offensively, but again, as I repeat myself here, I think priority one, defensively. See, I think this is a fascinating discussion because in many ways we don't know the real answer. I think we just have to gauge what our eyes tell us when we're watching these games, partner, and the actions of the coaching staff. But under that type of 
situation that you presented. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with it. I think you and I are coming up with the same conclusion, but we're getting there differently. I actually think this is more about a, a an ascending player and a player in plot who is, who is, for whatever reason, slumping. Because all things considered, partner, what's the one thing we always hear about plot? It's that he's a really smart player and he's hard to play against and defensively he's really good. That really shouldn't change if you're struggling offensively. Now, maybe it has. I'd have to go back to all these games where, where Pilat has struggled a little bit scoring to see, okay, is he doing things defensively that are also maybe potentially putting his team in a tough situation when his line's on the ice? And maybe that's not a fair way to judge it with Pilat, but that's where I'm going to go with it. I think this is about offense. Because I, if we're under the impression that Pilat and Paul are kind of the same player, and when I say kind of, I'm not talking about size. I'm talking about responsible, defensively, gritty, smart two-way player. I mean, I, I think that's fair to, to describe Pilat. It looks like that's how we're describing Paul. Why would you make the switch with Paul and Pilat? If you're trying to get better defensively, is Paul that much of an upgrade over Pilat? Now, partner, maybe he is. And like I said, I'd have to go back to the film and look at it. And maybe that actually would be a question to ask the coach, although I don't know if he would answer that publicly. That might be something off air. I actually think this is more about offense. It doesn't hurt that Paul gives you maybe similar defensive characteristics that Palat does, which is one of the reasons why you can pull this move off. I think this is, what do we have in Nick Paul? What do we have in him? And we've got a player in Palat who, let's face it, just hasn't done much offensively. Eh, let, let's see what happens. Because I don't think you make that move if you think both of those guys are basically the same defensively. I actually think this is more about Paul and being more of an ascending player and showing some things that maybe the coaching staff didn't even realize he had. But I think that's a lot on the offensive side than it is the defensive side. And I don't know where Palat's going to go from here. Yeah, But I think message received, and I would hope his game tonight, which we're assuming would be with Hagel and Colton, you would see a little bit more of that sandpaper element of Palat's game tonight against the Caps. But Palat's not with Hagel and Colton. Palat skated with Point and Kucherov. Well, there so you go. there you go. Let's Let's run out this ground ball. All right, so like you kind of posed the question, why would you swap Pallad and Paul? Because Pallad had been playing with with Sorelli and Kalorn, and we were wondering, could this be a shutdown line? We don't know. The Lightning have had defensive problems, but their defensive problems were less on the shoulders of of Sorelli and Kalorn than on some of the other lines, specifically the point line. The point line took a big minus against Toronto. Kalorn was actually plus one. In a game in which the Lightning gave six. So he was not out on the ice for any of the six goals against that that Toronto scored. And he was out on the ice yeah. on the goal that Ruta scored. That's how he finished plus one. So let's say I'm not gonna start with the Sorelli line. Let's say John Cooper is saying Stampkos, Kucherov, and Point while dynamic offensively, and they have been dynamic offensively, and those three guys have contributed points even through the two losses. Point didn't get on the score sheet against Toronto, but Stamkos and Kucherov both did, and all three players got on the score sheet against Montreal, 
and all three players were really impactful during the four-game winning streak as well. Kucherov didn't get a point in the win against Detroit, but he had his fingerprints, especially on the goal that tied it at one. It's just that if they gave out three assists, he would have gotten the third assist. Just he gave it to Sorelli, and then it was around the horn, and Stamkos put it in. So I still think Kucherov had an impact offensively in that game too, even though he didn't have a point, and then he pointed in all the rest of the games during that during that winning streak. So if John Cooper is saying that line is dynamic offensively, but we're having problems defensively, I need to split them up. What do I do? Where do I go from here? Well, if you're going to move Palat back with those two guys, that has been the line that's been really effective for the Lightning in the playoffs the last two years. Yeah. Okay, you know what you've got there. Now, what do we do with the other lines? Stamkos has played wing with Sorelli and Kalorn. But if you move Nick Paul onto that line and you're taking him out of center where he's been very effective, now you can center Stamkos with Hagel and Colton. We don't know how that line is going to look. Those three guys haven't played together at all. And in fact, I don't know how much Colton has even played with Stamkos since Colton's been it's a, good point. a member of the yeah. Lightning. So this is an experiment line. It is. It is. But what it does do is, if you're thinking Sorelli's line is going to be my defensive shutdown line, but I'd rather have Paul on that line than Stamkos, and I want Stamkos in the middle, you kind of solve, you know, Kill two birds two, one stone. Yeah, I wasn't going to yeah. say that because I don't yeah. know that that's necessarily sure, sure. how that's going to happen, but that's the way it's it's falling into place here. Where now you have Point, Sorelli, and Stamkos all at center. You have a winger joining Sorelli and Kalorn who has shown that, like, I agree with you, he is ascending. He's playing really well. Let's get this guy onto a line that maybe we're going to use as a shutdown line. Let's reunite Palat, Point, and Kucherov and see if they can be what they have been for us the last couple of years. We have the Belmar line that's basically been a line for us most of the year, and now let's see what we've got with Colton, Stamkos, and Hagel. I think the Colton, Hagel, Paul line has been pretty effective the last few games. That I think been they've been line. good. Yeah, I think yeah. they've been good. So let's see how they look with Stamkos in the middle. And again, there are 13 games left, so this, is not, this is not like locked in. Yeah. But I, I still think like... You and I are going to go around on this, I think. Like, I still think that Coop is more worried about team defense than scoring. I would agree. But he's also maybe looking at certain combinations that that he may want to lean on in the playoffs because the way he started the Toronto game, that's not the way, apparently, that he's going to be starting this Washington game. And look what happened in the Toronto game. Now, nobody did ask him. Like, why was it that Sorelli was not seeing as much of Matthews in the second period? Was that just kind of game flow? Wasn't after a face-off, so the Leafs got Matthews out there. But, I don't know, I think if you have Braden Point and Kucherov out on the ice, they should be able to handle playing against the other team's top line. I think that's probably how John Cooper is thinking about it, and they've done it in the past. So I think that the challenge for them is to play the sort of 
200-foot game that they're going to need to play in the playoffs. Well, and that's my fault because I was arguing against myself there because I I didn't have – I should have just read the line combinations that uh, I saw from Gabby because you're right. Paul goes the second. Palat stays on the first with pointing Kucherov. And the change is Stamkos being your centerman with Colton Hangel. But I don't think this is about Palat's goal drought. I think this is about John Cooper trying to figure out how can I work these line combos so that all four lines hopefully have chemistry. And like you're right, they want those lines to play with the puck in the offensive zone and make the other team play defense. That's great defense for you when the other team doesn't have the puck. You can't have that all the time. But if they can build some chemistry with these line combos, great. But if you don't have the puck... How are you going to defend Kuznetsov Ovechkin? How are you going to defend Matthews Martyr? How are you going to defend to me, Bergeron Marchand? Yes. How are you going to defend they actually aren't even on the same line and they just are rolling offensively, the Panthers. But how are you going to defend Barkov, Verhage, whomever? How are you going to I think Huberdeau's actually playing with Giroux and Bennett, I believe. I haven't really followed it that closely, but I've seen those three guys have teamed up on some goals, like pick your poison with the Panthers. But you need a line that can go out there and 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 try and limit the damage that these other lines can do. So you know what this tells me, Dave, and we've kind of speculated this for a little bit here. The Sorelli line is their shutdown line. Because you take Paul off that Hagel-Colton line, that's been a pretty solid line. You talk about chemistry and you're trying to develop that heading into the playoffs. They have that. Now you take one of those guys off of it and you put it with Sorelli and Kalorn. I don't think any line with Steven Stamkos on it is going to be a shutdown line, nor do I think you want that to be the case. I think, I think for me, this answers a question, and maybe it was an obvious one, but one that wasn't just talked about. I think whoever Sorelli is playing with is going to be the shutdown line, and maybe the question was, do we feel better as a shutdown unit with Sorelli, Kalorn, and Paul compared to... Sorelli, Kalorn, and Dave Name, whoever else was playing with them over the last right. few weeks. I think I think that's fair. I also think part of it, Stamkos might be more comfortable at center. But essentially what you're doing now is you're putting him with two guys that he's never played with before, basically. And so if that's the route they want to go. Like, if you think Paul is going to be the winger with Sorelli and Kalorn to be the quote-unquote shutdown line, and in many ways that does make sense. Paul's a heavier guy bigger guy also can play can skate might not be pretty as John Cooper said but he, if he can compliment Sorelli and Kalorn and that is your shutdown line pointing Kucherov that's going to be your dynamic line and if you want to keep Pilon on that line because he's familiar with playing with those two guys that's fine at some point he's going to have to produce though I don't think you can go multiple games in the playoffs without getting anything from him. But let's just say for argument's sake, John Cooper's thinking is Palat's had some success in the past with Point and Kucherov. We like the dynamic of Points and Kucherov. We're, we're going to keep those guys together. Hagel and Colton seem to have some chemistry. But we also want Steven Stamkos as our centerman in that line. And maybe this is where they're just going to have to look at and say, we're going to take the rest of the games for the regular season to mm-hmm. see if this plays out. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's probably a fair way of looking at and it. And Paul may be better suited playing center. I think he's played his best hockey with the Lightning when they moved him to center. But 
They want to see what they've got. They want to see what they've got with Sorelli, Kalorn, and Paul. And and I guess technically you could play Paul at center and move Sorelli to the wing, which has sometimes happened. You could. You could have some but options. You're you're pulling Sorelli out of the middle. The Lightning have a lot of centers. And I know Phil has kind of groused about this a little bit. He's like, you know, a center really wants to play center. It's it's nice to have the flexibility to kind of shuffle the lines a little bit, but you know, Colton's the center too. Are you surprised we haven't seen, and maybe maybe the play hasn't warranted it, with all of the juggling, and maybe we have, and I just, it, it slips my mind. We haven't seen Hagel with more of an opportunity maybe with a pointer Kucherov. Well, he they had the, the one game, what was it, in Carolina when Hagel started with point... Was it Point and Palat, and he was at right wing? I'd have to go back and look at how that started, and that didn't last very long. I think they're trying to ease Hagel's adjustment best they can, and we've talked about this. I think it has taken him a little bit to get fully acclimated, in sync, however you want to put it. Yep. But when he is going, he is a very straight-line player, as is Ross Colton. That may help Stamkos. You're putting Stamkos with two guys who can go after pucks and dig them out of corners. Who, who can skate. Who can skate. You're and they right. both yeah. can skate. Yes. So, we'll see. I mean, you, you don't know what you've got until you try it. That was why, remember Joe was on with us last week, and and I brought up the comment that Derek Lalonde made, and this was in between the Carolina and Boston games on that road trip. So, f- shortly after the trade deadline. I mean, Paul joined the team in Carolina. So he had been with the team for like 48 hours at that point. And the question was asked about line combinations. And Newsy said, you know, we'd like to settle on the the lines basically as, as soon as we can, as opposed to experimenting. Using this time down the stretch in the regular season to kind of tinker and and see not only what we've got, but also what else have we got. And I asked Joe if he was surprised by that comment and he said to us well the lightning i think want to get their their lines settled for the playoffs and let them build chemistry and there's some logic to that but when you've given up 10 goals in two games it's definitely time to go back to the drawing board and if you're going back to the drawing board why not see what else you've got i don't think that this rings of desperation i mean they can always kind of go back to some semblance of what they had before and reunite the Paul line. I'll call it the Paul line with Paul, Colton, and Hagel because they've done really well as a trio. But I guess part of me was wondering, like, would we see more experimentation? And the coaches have their finger on the pulse of what's going on with the team, and maybe it was their desire to, like, we can't recreate the Gord line, but maybe we can we can settle on a line that will play together these last at that time, whatever it was, 16, 17, 18 games, and be raring to go for the playoffs. And it really hasn't been the line with the new guys. It's been the other lines that have kind of forced Coop's hand here, I think. Well, and I they're think still looking. Is, they're still they looking, looking for how they want their lineup to be constructed when they get into the playoffs. And I think you're right. They would like to find a line with Sorelli in the middle, presumably with Kalorn on one side, that they can use against the other team's 
best offensive line. And against some of these teams, it's more than one. So you're going to need more than Sorelli and his line mates. You're going to need a second line because Barkov and Huberto do not play in the same line. And Tavares and Matthews do not play in the same line. And right now, Bergeron with Marchand, yeah. they play on a separate line than Pasternak. So yeah. you're going to yeah. have to get everybody pulling the rope. But if they can have one line that they're like, this is the line we're starting the game with. This is the line that's going out to see Matthews. This is the line that's going out to see Bergeron. This is the line I still say Barkov is is the man in Florida as tremendous a season as Huberdeau is having. This is the guy we're sending out against Barkov with his line mates. I think they'd like it to be Sorelli's line. Yes. I would agree with that. You know, another option, too, you could always move Colton up to that first line, too. I don't know if they're ready to do that this year. Well, that would be in line with the experimentation, right? That's what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. And again, and maybe maybe I'm just forcing my way to say I, I haven't seen a lot from Palat to be in the top six for the last 20 or 25 games. And maybe yeah. that's just kind of where I am with it. And I think a goal would help him, though. I, I would I mean, agree with you. I think that's you. probably a, a gross understatement. I would agree with you. I would. I, uh, you know, and again, this kind of goes benefit of the doubt. He's a proven guy. John Cooper yeah. is loyal to these guys. Chances of that happening probably are very slim. But then again, crazier things have happened before, especially once the playoffs begin. Before we get to John, I want to take this tweet from Matt Idle. He said, uh, pertaining to our question last year, a little concerned about the Lightning's performance against the Maple Leafs and where they are. And uh, this was from yesterday. He said, last night wouldn't bother me except the fact that we are below 500 for the full season against good teams. Now, good, I think, meaning maybe playoff Playoff bound. Yeah. What do you make of that? Because I have seen people throw numbers around like that. and yeah. I don't. I don't want to read too much into it because. Well, I think, how much are you reading into? I don't know. A game in early December. I mean, I guess in early December the Lightning were on a winning yeah, streak, so that's a bad example. Not but much, like no. a game in late November between the Lightning and a team that they might see in the playoffs. How important is that to what actually is going to happen in the playoffs? And look, I almost look at it the other way. They just got spanked by Toronto. Yeah. If they do see the Leafs in the playoffs and maybe as early as the first round, there's no reminder like the one they just got of how they need to play to have success against this team. But we've seen it too many times, Greg. I don't put a lot of stock in what has happened in a regular season series as it relates to what's going to happen in the playoffs. I can give you plenty of examples, but I'm just going to give you two that are right at the top of my head right now. When the Lightning saw Montreal in 2014, first round of the playoffs, the Lightning won in Washington, actually, on the last day of the regular season in a shootout to get home ice. And they had gone 3-0-1 against the Canadians during the regular season series, and we know what happened in that playoff series. They got swept. So 3-1-1 in the regular season against Montreal didn't matter a whit. In fact, with Tyler Johnson back in the building, they played a highlight where, where Johnson scored a shorthanded goal in a late regular season game that helped the Lightning. It might have actually been the game that, that clinched them a playoff spot in 2014, 2013-14. It was against Montreal. That was a late regular season game at Amelie. The Lightning beat Montreal to clinch a playoff spot. 
Did that have any impact on what happened in the playoff series? No. The other example I'll give you is 2018, the Lightning drew the Devils in the first round. You might say, wow, the Devils, they were a wild card team. They got in the playoffs because Taylor Hall had this incredible season. Yeah, the Devils went 3-0 against the Lightning during the regular season series. I remember taking questions from people I knew who were like, oh my gosh, the Devils, they beat the Lightning all three during the regular season. I'm like, well, let's see what happens in the series, the playoff series, Lightning 1-5. and five. So the one area, I know we have John coming up here, the one time where I think that a regular season game between potential playoff opponents can have an impact is when one team has had the other team's number for a while and the team that has been on the, on the receiving end of some defeats puts forth a resounding win as if to say, it ends now. The Lightning had one of those games against the Bruins late in the 2017-18 regular season. The Bruins had won, I don't even remember how many consecutive games against the Lightning. They had handled them, and they had handled them during that regular season. They had three games down the stretch in the regular season, and the Bruins had won the first two. But in the last week of the regular season, the Lightning shut out the Bruins 4 nothing. I thought that was more important for the Lightning than it was for the Bruins. I think it gave them belief that they could beat the Bruins, which they then did in the second round of the playoffs. And the other one that comes to mind, Carolina, because we just saw them, I told you the conversation I had with Mike Maniscalco. He said, you know, the Caps have given the Carolina Hurricanes problems, even though the Hurricanes beat them in the playoff series in 2019. And Carolina recently came to D.C. and beat the Caps 6-1. And again, I think that these games are more important for the team that, that wins them than the team that loses them. But that's the example of a regular season game that can help a team that that may have to see their, that same opponent in the playoffs. But I'm not too worked up about the Lightning's record against playoff-bound teams in this regular season. Either am I. And we'll talk to John Walton about the Caps. And is he concerned about their record here, particularly on home ice, which is a little befuddling. We'll do that when we return. Get those questions and comments coming at Bolts Radio. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linnelli, Steve Ersix, our producer. John Wall, I'm next on Lightning Radio. Hey, it's Seth Kushner, host of The Block Party, and our guest this week was Nick Paul. DJ Pauly, Nick Paul does it all. I got all of his nicknames for you guys. We talked about points for Paul, an initiative to raise money for teen mental health. And Nick talks about how some of the big personalities on the Lightning help some of the shyer guys open up. It's a good in-depth interview with Nick Paul does it all. That's The Block Party with Seth Kushner, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. We are getting you set for Lightning and Caps tonight. You can catch all the pregame coverage starting at 7 o'clock. And uh, we'll have it for you, Dave Mishkin, with the call. He joins me. I'm Greg Linnelli. Steve Ersnick is our producer. And uh, joining us right now, the voice of the Washington Capitals. Always glad to have him on. That would be John Walton. And John, first off, bud, great to be with you again. And Boy, I think it's fair to say both the Lightning and Caps would like to start stringing some wins together before the playoffs begin. Where are the Caps right now, John, when it comes to their play as they hold on to that last wildcard spot in the East? Well, Greg, it's a very interesting question as we get into April here. And for whatever reason, and going through the course of the season, the Capitals have been one of the best road teams in the league. They won 21 times away from D.C., 
if they lose tonight against Tampa Bay, they will assure themselves of more losses than wins on home ice this season. And that has not happened in these parts since 2006-2007. It has been nightmarish at times at home. They have been blown out in each of their last two home games after what was, by and large, a really good month of March. It was their best month of the season in terms of win percentage. And they went to Western Canada. They beat Calgary. They had a thrilling game where they tied it and forced overtime in with two seconds left in Edmonton, only to lose an OT, and then beat Vancouver. So it looked like things were turning around, and then Dallas came to town on March 20th, and they really haven't been the same since. They've lost four or six. They have not looked good doing it. Their only wins are against Buffalo, where they needed to come from behind and win in a shootout on the road, and against New Jersey, where they had to come from behind and win at home. So they have not played exceptionally well in the last six, but they are coming off of some recent play where it would give you reason to think that if they can get it together on home ice, and it is a mystery to why this keeps occurring, uh, they still are a good veteran team. They are largely healthy now, which they have not been most of the year, uh, but the results for whatever reason haven't been there lately. So John, I have a completely unrelated on ice question for you that we were getting into before we had to come actually back on the air. So I'm just going to continue the question that I started asking you drafted by the capitals. Marcus Johansson started his career in Washington and left the year before the cup year and became Marcus Johansson with New Jersey. And he has been Johansson in his subsequent stops, Boston, and well, they got him from Seattle. He was Johansson in Seattle. And you told me now he is Johansson again. So the fans who don't really understand how we get the pronunciations that we get, which is a very important part of our job, like talk us through the inside baseball of how all of this unfolded and why, in fact, he is now back in Washington as Marcus Johansson and the hard J has been left on the airplane. Well, I'm going to even throw you for a little bit of a loop on that, because when he left and went hard, Jay and Johansson, yes, that occurred, uh, New Jersey, Boston, Buffalo, Minnesota. And then a funny thing, back in 1617, I, I guess it was sometime during that year, we started doing digital radio in Washington, and we had done a, a lot of new liners and, and affiliating with Caps Radio 24-7, wanted the players to be able to read those. I'd been saying Johansson the whole time I've been here. And then he goes through and says, hi, this is Marcus Johansson, and you're listening to Caps Radio 24-7. So I said, well, is it Johansson? Okay. Uh, so for that last season that he was here, not before that, but for the last season he was here, we actually changed it on radio. Otherwise, it would have sounded a little silly if he's bringing us back from break and I'm saying right. his name differently. So I I talked to him when uh, when he came back. His first game was in Buffalo and uh, clarified. Johansson said, yeah, I like, OK. <laughs> and we ran with that. So that's what we've done. Uh, he has uh, struggled. He's going to be on the third line tonight. He hasn't gotten a point mm -hmm. since he came back. And he's going to be on a line tonight with Lars Eller, who is really struggling offensively, and TJ Oshie, who has been hurt so much this year and has been quiet as well. So uh, the third line tonight, any kind of point would be something they haven't done in the last half dozen or so. Uh, but Marcus was on the top line. He was getting a lot of minutes, too, uh, since his, come, uh, since his uh, deal back from Seattle to come here. 
And it, even by his own admission in an interview that will run on our air tonight, he says it is not, at least the on ice part, has not lived up to what he was hoping. Uh, he's thrilled to be back. Uh, it's a place he obviously knows well, still has friends here uh, on and off the ice away from the organization and otherwise. But, uh, but on ice, it's been a struggle. He's looking to get it going tonight. John Walton joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. You know, it's interesting, John, when you look at the eight teams right now in the Eastern Conference that are in a playoff spot, most people assumed over the last month that wasn't going to change. Maybe the seedings would be different, but the teams would be the same. And most people thought, look, those eight teams, if they get hot, all of them have a legitimate chance to make a deep run. I'm wondering, do you feel that way with Washington, or do you feel like there are maybe more questions right now than you would like heading into the playoffs? Oh, there's definitely more questions here. I think the biggest one that is going to be on display for the game tonight is in goal, where this team, quite frankly, is nowhere right now with four weeks to go. They had more or less in the last, I'd say, in the last month where they had really played pretty well. Vitek Vanacek was really good. Uh, Stats going back to January of a save percentage that was north of 92, uh, giving them a chance to win, making timely saves where Ilya Samsonov was not doing that or certainly not to the regularity, inconsistent more than anything else. Uh, Vitek has suffered along with where the team has gone here these last few games. He's given up three or more in five in a row, eight of his last nine, and really has struggled on home ice, giving up five to Carolina before getting pulled after two and then getting run out by Minnesota in the team's last game on Sunday. So Ilya Samsonov is going to go tonight. He's only played in three games since the first of March, so – I think the team is very curious, uh, fans, everyone here, are very curious where this is going in goal. And for Elia, what Elia do you get? He's got a save percentage of under 90, uh, but he has been very good on some nights. He's been very bad on others. Uh, but they don't have a consistent goalie with four weeks to go. And unlike the other seven teams where you know who your goalie is going to be, uh, the Capitals really have no idea. Peter Laviolette said as much this week where – you know, we've reverted back to instead of Vanacek being number one, this is an open competition again. I don't have to tell you guys that if you've got an open competition in goal in April, you got two, you don't really have one. And that's where they are. They've got a good decor in front. They've got certainly the offensive wherewithal, starting with Ovechkin, but it goes beyond him. Kuznetsov has had a terrific year. So it's going to come down to do they get the goaltending and who do they get it from? And there was a pursuit of Marc-Andre Fleury. He didn't want to come here and said as much. And so they were of the options that were left available. There really wasn't a lot else. And the, the consensus was, and I think the right one, just a, a minor upgrade wasn't probably going to do the trick. Uh, see who rises to the top among the kids and see who goes coming game one. But uh, that right now, I think, is very much up in the air. And tonight, we'll start to dictate that again as Samsonov gets the start. I was curious to see, John, in the game notes. So in, in the game notes that the league releases, each team can kind of put in its own individual notes that the team provides. And the Caps PR department decided to put in a stat comparison through 69 games between this year's team and the 17-18 season. And I think the point was, like, look how comparable <laughs> these teams are, both in terms of the record and the goals for, goals against, which is to say that 17-18 team had a tremendous playoff and won the Stanley Cup, but the regular season was more middling in comparison to what 
had come before where the team had a great regular season, didn't go as deep in the playoffs. What do you remember about kind of the closing stretch run of the 17-18 regular season? And do you feel that like the questions you said that are abounding for the Caps now, do you remember having some of those questions back in 2018? Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a great question, Mish. And, and I think actually a pretty good comparison by Caps PR because it, in a glass half full scenario, that team was not without its issues at the end of the season. Braden Holtby wasn't even the starting goaltender in the last couple of weeks. And Philip Grubauer had taken over and Philip Grubauer started game one and game two, and he lost them both to Columbus. And it looked like a lot of what we thought might happen here. Barry Trotz was at the end of his contract and it looked like the team who had, it had been a very uneven season. They had gotten their doors blown off by Nashville and Colorado in November. And, you know, Barry Trotz was real close to walking uh, and not of his own volition. If he was going to get escorted out, it, it seemed like maybe right before Thanksgiving, it got better. It was up and down in through March. Uh, the goaltending situation was a little unstable uh, but when Braden Holtby got the net, he never gave it back again. Uh, now, that would imply that one of these guys is going to be Braden Holtby. We'll see. Braden had a much better track record uh, prior to 17-18, Vesna trophies and 49-win seasons and all of that. These guys don't have that. But I think statistically it's a fair comparison because they were struggling down the stretch. And until game three in Columbus, where the whole world seemed to change, and then beating Pittsburgh, the seven games with Tampa Bay, and then, of course, beating Vegas, I, I don't know that I could have seen that coming before game three in Columbus. And when we talk about back to present day, Sergei Bobrovsky is not to have the greatest history against the Capitals, and a lot of it came in that series. Caps are more and more looking like they're going to be in Fort Lauderdale for round one and game one. So... Uh, maybe there's some hope there because it's a guy you've had great success against and as good as Florida is, and heaven knows, these last few games have been terrifying for anybody watching good offensively for them. But uh, the Caps you know, do have at least a little good history against their goaltender. John Walton joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. John, how much do they miss Carl Hagelin and that speed? He's not uh, obviously a, a superstar, but his speed is elite. When you talk about what the Caps are trying to do, whether it's establishing a forecheck on the PK, how much do they miss his presence? I think they miss his veteran leadership. There wasn't a lot of offense there, but he was part of what arguably over the last two seasons has been Washington's most consistent line, their checking line with Dowd and Hathaway. They had great chemistry together. I think that's the reason that they went out and got Johan Larson uh, and getting him uh, more or less to play the left side. Of course, the flexibility to play center if they need him to. Dowd has had some injury issues here in the second half, but uh, I think that's the biggest reason they brought him in. The Caps also have had Axel Janssen Fialbi in that role, who's come up from Hershey and done a really nice job. Uh, he can fly as well. He almost seems like a younger version of Haglin out there if you squint your eyes just right. And, uh, you know, I think he's got a future here too, but. Uh, the more veteran uh, guys seem to be the ones who are going to get the look right now down the stretch as this team's trying to get themselves right. Uh, and I think Johan Larson's going to be the guy that's in that spot for a bit. I do recall, John, in the first half of the year on our show, Greg and I brought up Ovechkin's name as a potential MVP. And maybe he's going to get some votes this year, although based on some of the seasons some of the other scoring leaders are having, it seems that they would probably be the, the likely winner, but Ovechkin certainly is having a terrific year, and he had a phenomenal start, phenomenal start. 
how would you characterize his year as a whole? Do you feel that he has maintained that level from the start of the year and it's just other guys have passed him because they're scoring more? Or for a guy with 42 goals, it sounds funny to say this, has the second half, like, has, has his play and production dipped slightly from where he started? There's been some lulls around, along the way, but for the most part, he's been pretty good lately. I, I think in terms of goal scoring, last couple of games have been quiet, as have the rest of the team, not just him. But prior to that uh, Western Canadian trip, uh, he was seemingly good for at least one a night there over the course of the last few weeks. So I, I think some of the doldrums of February might have curtailed that total. I don't know that... I think at midseason, if you were voting on MVP in January, I think you, he's your guy. I, I don't know that he is the guy. I think you're exactly right. I think he gets some votes. Uh, but where the Capitals are in the standings compared to some of the other stat lines for uh, the Drysidles, McDavid's, Matthews, even Chris Kreider at this point, uh, it's, it's tough to imagine that he would be too close, certainly not in the top three, but maybe top five. I think he still had that kind of season. He and Kuznetsov have been terrific. I shudder to think where this team would be uh, be without those two guys because Kuznetsov, after some subpar seasons since the Cup win, uh, the the best bounce back in Washington's lineup. He has been as consistent as anyone on this team outside of number eight. They've worked well together. And when they were winning games in October and November – it was the two of them working together. And I think that's, they leaned a little too much on that early on in the season. They may be leaning on a little too much of that now, but uh, no complaints on number eight and 92. They have been as good for this team as, as anybody that's put on the uniform this year. John, last question for me to that point, you mentioned Ovechkin and Kuznetsov being fantastic this year. And for a team like Washington, I I think Pittsburgh's probably in the same boat. You need your star players probably to rise the occasion a bit more because of maybe not depth issues, but some unproven depth. Do you feel like the elite players for the Caps are still elite and have it in them to be dominant, whether it's a first round in the playoffs or for a deep run in the playoffs when we start talking about guys like Carlson, Wilson, and Backstrom who complement Kuznetsov and Ovechkin? I that Wilson absolutely. Tom Wilson has played as well this season as he ever has in terms of goal production. It will be a career high for sure, point total for sure. Still a physical force and in any way, shape, or form has not strayed to the wrong side of playing on that edge. He's done everything asked. Uh, Nick Backstrom, it's been a tough year. T.J. Oshie, it's been a tough year. And both of those guys, I, I think the jury's still out on what production they will have of in a potential Stanley Cup playoff. Backstrom has collected points. Uh, he has had, he's been okay uh, in coming back. He's still so gifted with a stick. I mean, his skating has, has lacked something, I think, but he's so good at moving the puck. He's still going to get points. Uh, I mean, he's on one leg out there. He's still going to be getting points. TJ Oshie's had a really tough run. Nothing in his last six. He's been out more than he's been in. I, I think that probably is going to be one of the keys when you get to a game one assuming it's the Florida Panthers on the other side. And I think it's getting safe to say the Caps don't have a lot of upward mobility from eight in Florida now with a, a gap over Carolina. So the Caps may very well uh, see some Atlantic division things coming their way here. But I think when you look at a matchup like that, uh, you know, that's in theory, the Capitals still have a lot of horses. Uh, but I think where they are uh, in this season and in their careers they're all getting up there. I mean, the the arc is definitely for Pittsburgh, too, although it seems to be hitting a little harder in Washington right now than Pittsburgh. 
there's a lot of guys getting older. And, you know, I think when you're trying to, you know, keep the window open, even Brian McClellan has said this year that this isn't that kind of season. Like, go out and get the big fish. Go get an Anthony Mantha. Go get a Kevin Shattenkirk and the big splashes the Caps have made. Uh, there aren't any half measures with the Capitals general manager, but it was a lot more muted this year, and and he was very clear and honest as to why. This is a, a different kind of team, and, you know, the Carolinas and the Floridas and, you know, and the Tampa Bays for sure. Until until the two-time champs are sent packing, they're still the champs. So I I, I think all of that, uh, you know, it's a little bit of, well, let's let's see what we can ha- do with the, the core that we've got. John, this was a lot of fun, but enjoy calling the game tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. All right. Will do, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, John. See you tonight. All right. John Walton joining us there, Caps play-by-play man. And uh, you know what I like about John, Dave? Pretty honest yeah. when it comes to his team. And, um, you know, I, I think you do that as well, and I think people appreciate, you know, the the guys who call the game who give a pretty fair view of – of where things are with their respective teams. Bob says interview with John sure shows that both teams are struggling and playing inconsistent as caps had a decent March differences. Tampa Bay has much more talent than the caps. You know, it was interesting. I was looking at cap friendly while we were doing that interview and it, it caught my attention. Let's put it that way. How many guys they have over 30 in that lineup. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we referenced this when the season started about, Teams like the Caps and the Penguins specifically, because I feel like those two teams are intertwined with the legacies of Ovechkin and Crosby. Aging stars now where you're trying to fill that roster out with younger players because you spent so many years going for it and mortgaging the future that now you're left with a a bunch of 35-year-olds who are still good, but not much cap room to do anything else. And it was was eye-opening to me because... They don't have very many younger players, Dave, at that forward position yeah. who are under the age of 30 who are really impactful. So they traded for Mantha, and I think that they are hoping that he is going to be one of their leaders moving forward. He is 27. So he's kind of in the wheelhouse of what should be the prime of his career. He's had a lot of injury problems, though, and he just had, just had a, baby a, girl. a shoulder injury this year. I think he missed like 44 games. Yeah. They have, and this is in a forward position, but their defenseman, Martin Ferravari, easy for me to say, they're really high on him. He's actually playing on their top pair with John Carlson. He's a former second-round pick. They like him a lot. And, you know, Kuznetsov is still a younger guy. I mean, feels like he's, he's not that young, although as I say that, he's about to turn 30. So... He's been around a while. I thought he was still in his more like mid to late twenties, but technically he's still twenty nine. I mean, Tom <laughs> at Wilson's least for another month or so. Tom Wilson's so, twenty eight, you know, and and Wilson's the other one. Yeah, so they have a few players, but it's interesting when you think about the Capitals. So John talked about the goaltending, but he also in 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 response to your direct question about like what questions. Do the Caps have, he mentioned the goaltending, and he said, you know, the defense has been pretty good and they, they have enough scoring. But when you get into a playoff series, here are the questions I think the Caps are going to have to to answer or figure out or come up, come up with a solution. If they get the Panthers, I mean, I think it's probably safe to say they're going to be the second wild card. So it's the Panthers right now. I guess it could be Carolina if the Rangers somehow overtake Carolina and Florida. It seems unlikely. It would be the Rangers, but whoever they get in the first round. 
they have to f- get excellent goaltending, and right now it's unclear what that situation is looking like for them. And a lot of the guys that have really pulled the rope for them in the past are having tough years. He mentioned Backstrom. He mentioned Oshie. They added Larson, who has played just one game because he was coming off a sports hernia injury. And I will say it right, Johansson. (laughs) Marcus Johansson has not done what the Caps hoped he would do when they acquired him. So basically what you might be looking at is questions in net, and beyond Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, where are you getting your goals? And Wilson. I mean, he included Wilson in there. That's that's not that's not a formidable kind of formula to go into a playoff series with. I don't now think it doesn't mean just... that they can't win. It doesn't mean that Oshi sure. will definitely not find another level. He may. Backstrom may find another level. But and he might they not. may find a, find <laughs> an answer in net. Vanacek played well. Yeah. for a long stretch earlier this year. But as as we speak right now, this is why the Caps are kind of wobbly a little bit. And I think John made that point and, and got that point across to us. I'm surprised their goaltending situation hasn't rectified itself. And both of those guys. guys are young. Yeah, they are. And so, I, I mean, actually it thought could Sam Stanoff was the guy. You know, yeah, he was supposed to be. Not too long ago with Barry Trotz. Uh, by the way, I think you wouldn't disagree with this. The way they're playing right now, you could almost make the argument that the Islanders would give the Panthers a tougher duel in the playoffs at this point. Well, the Islanders playing... lost last night, so that that hurts them. They're not going to get yeah, in, I don't think. I mean, yeah, they and they play Washington, have... I think, a couple of times, right? To yeah, end the season. right before they play the Lightning at the end of the year. But just I mean, their they're going style... to have to go on an incredible yeah. run, and they've been doing well to kind of at least get themselves in the vicinity. Like, they're on the outer reaches of the parking lot trying to get inside the stadium, and they still have a long way to go just to get to the outside of the stadium to even be in the conversation. Having said that, you know, the Caps, like the Lightning, have 13 games left to try and kind of get get some questions answered. I do want to – I know we're we're running out of time here. I do want to close with with just – this this thought that I had again looking at the scores last night. So the Islanders in Dallas played three two. That was a low scoring game, and Edmonton actually had a low scoring game in San Jose, where Mike Smith had a great assist in overtime on a McDavid winning goal. That was two to one Edmonton. But the crooked scores again. Toronto blew a five one lead to the Panthers. Five one. Yeah. I almost feel like going back and redoing yesterday's show. Or at least adding to like an addendum to yesterday's show because we were talking about are the Leafs really defending better? Well, yeah, maybe. But if they have breakdowns, can their goaltending help them? I mean, they they started Shalgren. He gave up a horrendous goal to Gudis shorthanded. At the time, it made a five three, and then they pulled him and put in put in Campbell, who gave up the final four. Now a lot of those were right around the net. Hard to blame him, but. He couldn't do to the Panthers what he basically did to the Lightning, which was erase the chances. But the Panthers, too. Like John said, the Panthers are going to strike fear into you with the way they can score. Yeah, but they still fell behind by four goals in each of their last two games. Yeah, they rallied to win, but is that a formula for success in the playoffs? I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, it's a fair point. We've brought up this question, and I'm really curious to see what happens in the playoffs this year. Are we going to see 
seven, six games in the playoffs. Listen, I don't think so, but I have to be honest with you. The more and more I'm looking at these eight teams and the goaltending they don't have, we may see more than those. We may see more 6-5 games. Maybe 4-3, four, 5-4. Five, four. Colorado scored six on Pittsburgh. Yeah. Like one of those was an empty netter. Yeah, they were they were really good last night. They may be the best team right now. I mean, they're and they're missing a couple of guys. That that's yeah. a, that's an that's an exciting team. But I will say this. There are more questions about starting goaltending with playoff teams than I can remember. And teams that legitimately can win the Stanley Cup. I mean, Darcy Kemper. Really? He's having a tremendous year. Might mm-hmm. not matter. Might not matter this year. Bobrovsky yeah. in Florida. Look at Washington. Look at Pittsburgh. Look at Carolina. Boston. Toronto. There is basically one team that does not have any question marks when it comes to their goaltender, and that would be the Tampa Bay Lightning, and everybody, outside of a few, thinks this team is finished. Let's wait and see how this plays out, because as far as I'm concerned... There are a lot of head coaches who are losing a little sleep heading into the playoffs because, Dave, they don't know what they're going to get game in and game out at the most important position on the ice. Yeah. And John Cooper does not have to worry about that. Well, the Lightning have to try and help Vasilevsky. They do. So they can't just put it all on him. And and the opponent that they're going to get in the first round will be capable of scoring a lot. Boston lost last night. They had 50 shots. Nadelkovich sounded like he just stole that game. Yeah. Detroit won 5-3. to But, you know, I'll finish with my shameless plug. I wrote a column for the website yesterday saying that, you know, for the Lightning, the biggest priority is getting their Team D in order down the stretch in the regular season, which is consistent with what I've been talking about on the show. So I kind of stole from Peter to to write for Paul and, and wrote about that. But as we're talking about this, like, if the Lightning can get their Team D in order, and it doesn't have to, it, it doesn't mean that they're going to have to win games two to one, because the teams that they're going to be seeing in the playoffs, or whatever team they see in the playoffs, might score three to four on them. But if they can defend better than their opponent, that might tip the balance for them because they have eighty-eight in net. If they can defend equal to what the other team is doing they may have an advantage, but they have to defend better than what we saw these last two games. Agreed. Let's hope it begins tonight. We'll have all the coverage starting at 7. Partner, great job. We'll do it again tomorrow, breaking it all down. Talk to you tomorrow. Noon to 1, of course. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. Thanks to you for listening. We gave you a little little extra here on Power Lunch because that's what we do. I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to 1, on Lighting Power Play.